Okay, excellent. Hello and welcome everyone to episode four of our King's Reflections. Uh, my name is Nick. I'll be leading this podcast today. I've got John Singleton, Jamie Singleton and Daniel Jones with me. Really good to have you guys. Now there's a lot of questions, so we're gonna get straight into it. As everyone is aware, hopefully by this point, people have been asking questions as we've been going through the Kings series. And uh, yeah, we've got quite a few. So I'm gonna get straight stuck in uh, and we'll go, we're looking at chapter seven. So the first question is, the comparison between David and Solomon almost implies that to be close to God is to embrace suffering. Surely God wants us to experience the joys of the world. Jamie? There's, there's a two-part question. So let me start with the, the first part. I think there is some truth in the fact that God has often made clearer to us through suffering, or God uses suffering to help reveal who he is more. I think if you're looking at Philippians 3.10, Paul says, I want to know Christ, yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings. And so the, that implies that to get to know Christ is to experience sufferings. And um, Corrie ten Boone um, has a great quote, you only realize Jesus is all you need when Jesus is all that you have. And so sometimes God allows the stripping away of distractions through suffering so that he is seen and treasured more than all else. Now that others respond to the other part of the question. Cool, thanks Jamie. I think in terms of God's creation, the beautiful sunset, the moon on the water, um, if we're talking about that, yes, absolutely, God has made those things for us to, to enjoy. Um, in terms of... Uh, Sensual pleasures, well, no, God has delivered us from being dependent upon that. So um, I think we have to just define what pleasures of the world, um, and there's nothing actually to compare with the the joy of the Lord, which is um, utterly independent of the external circumstances of the world around about us. Mm. Thanks, John. Dan? I mean, just strikes me um james 1 verse 2 count it all joy my brothers when you meet trials of various kinds <laughs> so maybe there's a connection between the two yeah cool all right next question we're still on chapter seven jeremy started his talk with a story where god reminded him to look for him in a work meeting how do we keep our focus on god and avoid solomon's mistake where he gets focused on building his own platform are there ways we can spot if this is happening in ourselves? Um, yeah, I think it would be foolish to think that we can keep ourselves on the straight and narrow. Um, I heard a great Tim, Queller, Tim Keller quote the other day where he's saying, faith is actually the reliance on God's grace. That's what, what faith is. And so we're reliant on the spirit of God leading us to all truth. It's by his grace that I might be directed to seek first the kingdom of God. So um, I think there is a dependence that we have from God to go God's way. Um, there is a participation that we have in that. We have to choose when we get the nudge of the spirit to follow. And 
I've often used the phrase that the Holy Spirit might compel us, but we have to collaborate or comply with the work of the Spirit. And that's the partnership that God has designed for humanity. I think the Bible says that we're kept by the power of God. We do not actually have ourselves the ability to do that. We have the ability to choose to submit to God and to choose his way uh, against even our own way. But the power to keep us is something that God provides. Hmm. Okay, I, I think I'll move on to the next question. So we're moving on now to chapter 8. It has been said that our success is measured in our successors. I struggle with my S's, so that was quite tough. How do we ensure that our successors catch our heart? Is there something that David got wrong? So this is kind of in reference to David passing on to Solomon. Is there something that he got wrong in, in not, not passing on his heart to Solomon? I think the big thing that David got wrong to answer that part of the question is that he didn't confront uh, the unrighteousness um, and uh, didn't set that example and pursue it through to the confront where it wasn't being pursued. I think that's important to, to bear in mind. And I think the other thing is that we constantly have the opportunity because as many of the sons of God are led by the Spirit of God, we have that opportunity uh, to receive that nudge, whether it's a nudge of correction or uh, a nudge of an opportunity to do something to respond. And again, he doesn't take away our will. We have the opportunity to choose to pursue that nudge rather than be fixed in our program, our ideas or what we fancy doing because that's giving way to self-rule and not making room for his rule so that question of saying even Lord how do you want me to spend my time or is there something that you've got on your agenda for me this day or this hour whatever it may be is is a very key way of staying in the right place I mean it suggests to me we're talking about successors there's it takes two to tango so there's the person who's setting the path and then there's a person who's following in it and I think I think that the person who's following has got to want to respond to it and I think obviously if you're wanting to impart your heart then there's a there's a proximity there's a openness there's a inviting someone in um, helping them to take weight um, to consider what what you might be doing but then I think it also is on the part of the person who's following um, to to take that, and I'm, I've, I've no doubt that Solomon was exposed to enough of what David was doing. There was there was a choice there that he made as well. I'd like to increase the number of people in the dance from two to tango to th to three to whatever you do when you dance in a three. But I think that the factor of the the Holy Spirit being part of that that work also needs to be be included. So if if I'm trying to raise successes, there's a few things I can do. One, I'm modelling my heart I'm living it out I'm making it visible two I'm putting myself in proximity with someone else so that they can actually witness see close enough to ask questions and experience the outworking of that heart number three I need to be explaining the why behind why am I doing this not just what am I doing or how am I doing it but what is the the reason 
underneath it all. There's got to be a vulnerability in that. And this is where David fell short was we need to challenge others to actually apply the stuff. So we might be in conversations with each other where we agree on a particular belief. But if I want to create a, a successor that has the heart, I've got to be able to say, well, let's see, how are you applying that in your life? If it's not being applied or it's being applied skew if I get I have a responsibility to say, well, I don't think you quite got this this yet. But the, the third party, it, the Holy Spirit, it's the work of God to build his church. And if you look in the early days when Moses were needed to see successes arise, God actually took off Moses' spirit and placed it in the heart of the different leaders. And so there is a, there's, I want to play my role. I want to be compliant and participate in the same way as the successor needs to be uh, participating. But there's that factor of the spirit compels and does something that, that none of us can do. I think we can't uh, get away from the fact that um, in the development of successes is a is a close um, commitment both ways and it's a relational commitment um, it's not just training in a task but it's going into what is the purpose behind what's the reason what's the heart of it <clears throat> and it's not necessary to produce um, somebody with the same particular gifting it can be to produce somebody with a character that represents God. Mm. Cool. Next question. We talk a lot about not just trying harder, but then how do we catch God's heart? My decrease for his increase is what the Bible says. So I think we catch his heart by that place of humility. Um, where we're we're inquiring of God and looking to see what He feels and thinks in the situation, rather than having our own predetermined uh, decision position. Hmm. Yeah, I think following that, we are inquiring of God. That that requires some action on our part. We can't just assume that God's going to increase our love and desire for Him if we don't engage with him and come before him and that does create an action on our part mm. uh, i think we'd be foolish to expect that that comes to us on its own um so i think we need to be careful not to to say when we say trying harder that's striving that's doing things in our own strength that's not something that that gets us there but we need to bring ourselves before God. That's where Solomon fell short. He, he he didn't bring himself before God. He wasn't aware of what God was saying. He lost sight of that. Mm. I, th I think asking is a, a key factor. God, reveal who you are to me because I can't, I can't see it. I can't mm. find it myself. I'm dependent on him revealing. And then it's the teachability and flexibility in myself to keep adjusting my mindset, my approach to life based on the new revelation of who he is. Mm. If I see that he is a worthy provider, then I need to adjust my life to now rely on the truth of what he's just seen, which then allows me to not just have that initial impression of who he is, but I can then see it working through my life. Um, so 
I think the the asking and waiting on God's is a very is a proactive idea in the Bible. We've used the idea of so if I'm waiting for a bus, I'm not waiting in my living room. I'm getting myself to the bus stop. I'm putting myself in the way of the route. Mm. And so there are things that I can do in terms of ask ask questions. I can listen to teaching. I can read the Bible. I can listen to worship music. But there's also things that I can choose to hold back from. Which relationships help me? Which ones don't? What am I watching? What am I feeding myself on? Does that help reveal the nature of who God is? Or does that distract me and kind of pacify me um, from from these things? Cool. Next question, still on chapter eight. If we should be so caught up in the spirit we can't do our normal worship, does that mean a Sunday service should be more open to changes and less structured? I think the important thing is not to reduce worship to a Sunday morning. Worship is a lifestyle. Mm. Worship is our walk before God. Uh, if any man come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. That's not just uh, to be expressed in, a, in an hour or so on a Sunday. Uh, I think the important thing is we're there for him when we do come together and the sensitivity um, to be led by the Holy Spirit can mean that we would retain a, re a responsibility to flexibility. Mm. I don't think it's throwing everything up in the air and see what comes down. I think it's being flexible uh, to adjust just as God directs us in a time which is really for him, mm. not for us. Yeah. Yeah, and I'd say, take for instance the, the Sunday morning meeting, there is a lot of things that are structured, even... The chairs are put out in a certain way. The um, the speakers are put in a certain place. Most of those things happen with a sense of reason and experience has taught us these are the best ways to, to do this for what we're trying to achieve. But never at any point can that stuff restrict what the, what the spirit should be doing. So if there's anyone that has any questions, why do we do it this way and not that way? It's definitely worth asking because in the same way, a structure does not produce the spirit. Chaos would not produce the spirit. The spirit comes when the spirit wants to and we want to work and respond to him as he does mm. what he wants to do. Next question. It's kind of two questions combined in one. So first question, Solomon's heart was divided. Could he have made himself less divided somehow? And is he still saved then? And then a later question came up after the teaching on chapter 11, which felt similar. So we'll add that here, which was, what can I do to learn to delight in God? Dan? I can take the first part. So, yes, Solomon's heart was divided. How could he make himself less divided? I think it talks about that he made alliances. So he aligned himself with uh, Pharaoh's daughter. And of course he had, however, innumerable numbers of, of other wives. And I think that's that's where he was he was torn he was he was drawn to those uh those other people and they were worshiping other gods and that drew him away from god and i think for ourselves it's considering what alliances have i made is my heart solely and purely wholly devoted to god or are there other things which are pulling me away from god um and i think that's a thing we have to first consider and then our response to that is god 
purify my heart hmm. make 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 the things that you delight in and you desire be the things that i desire and 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 seeking to pull ourselves away or not pull us or asking the spirit to to to, to cut off some of those alliances whatever they might be our workplace might be um, our family even you know there can be things that we're drawn to um, seeking comfort in certain things you know those can be things which we we cling to almost over over and above leading what god is is calling us to do yeah it was interesting how the questions came because my answer to the first question how what do you do with the divided hearts well when we looked at the difference between david and solomon David just seemed to delight. And so my answer was by delighting in the Lord. So then the later question, which is, so how do you delight in the Lord? Um, I think that that's the key thing. And it's like, God, show me who you are. When I see you, I'll fall in love with you and will want to become more like you. And then similar to the previous comments, that, that revo- that's the compulsion and the compliance working working together how can i serve you lord how can i become more like you that you become more of a treasure in which i would sell everything else in order to pursue you and that's kind of the alliance things at that point these are these are now hindering my pursuit or my purchase of who who he is in terms of the salvation aspect is is solomon saved I don't believe we're equipped to comment on that. I, I think Jesus knows and the person knows. Mm. And there's other scriptures that talk about how we can be sure of our own salvation. I don't think it's a spectator sport to try and have a go at that. Cool. So I've got a few that might be a little bit more quick fire uh, questions, although not necessarily. Next question then. Do we suffer spiritual consequences of sin even though we are forgiven? I think, uh, yes, we do. <laughs> if, if we sin, um, we're actually taking control of our life into our own hands. And uh, that brings, uh, it's a hindrance in our, the openness of our heart before God. So the, the best thing to do is quickly repent and ask for forgiveness. Otherwise, I think we're... We're damaging ourselves and uh, the the beautiful flow of that relationship with the Lord who saved us. Spiritual consequence. I'm I'm not familiar with that. I don't know if that's if that comes up in the in the Bible. So I'm not quite sure what the the questioner meant by that. I think when it comes to forgiveness, we can be sure that God cleans us of our sin does not necessarily mean that we're cleaned of the consequences so we can be forgiven whilst we work through the consequences of of our actions Mm. cool all right next question do we worship the way david worshipped i hope not (laughs) (laughs) we're in a bit of a colder climate i suppose (laughs) we're in a colder climate we worship in spirit and in truth I think it has to be real. It can't be faked. But it's, again, it's part of being born again that we're actually able to enter into the presence of God where we can be with him mm-hmm. and express our heart towards him. Remember, he's given us a heart of flesh and taken away the heart of stone so that we're in a new position 
uh, to be able to to worship. Mm. If a member who is part of the body came back to his leader as the prodigal son did, but never received such welcoming from the leader, what would they do next? Or what should they do next? I think you've got to start with inviting the Holy Spirit to search you as the prodigal son that's come back. Because if the, the attitude of the prodigal son was, I, I'm not fit to even be regarded as a son anymore. My sin against my father has been so severe. I, if I could just be a servant in his house would, would be enough. Mm. If you don't have that attitude and you're expecting um, to be treated at, at a higher level, there's a question of, okay, have I really come to understand what I've done so that my repentance can be appropriate and accurate? Beyond that, I think there can be a conversation with the leader saying that what what more are you seeing you, in me that you would like to see change? And then you weigh that before God. Hmm. Cool. And then the final question on chapter eight. Uh, so, Jamie, one of the points that you were talking about, you described the scandal of forgiveness. Is there more on the scandal of forgiveness? I mean, there's been books and books written on it, and um, I, I mean, I, I couldn't really go into it all here, but we do have within the foundation course um, a whole kind of chapter dedicated to it. So that would be something good to to read and and explore. Cool. All right, moving on to chapter nine. First question for chapter nine is: Should we be asking each other, "Do you have any unforgiveness in your heart?" Or is that something that we leave for the Holy Spirit to reveal? I think it's... God doesn't call us to be the spiritual CID. Um, but I think as we're led by the Holy Spirit, um, being real, and if there's, a, if there's a direction of the Holy Spirit to inquire, yes. Otherwise, I think uh, our disposition is to believe that we're walking together in the forgiveness of God with lives that are open to him. Um, I, the idea of having a an interrogation doesn't really seem to be very biblical to me. If I have the Holy Spirit, but I don't feel bold and full of power, as the promise says, what should I do? I think um, when the Holy Spirit came upon them in Acts 1, they were full of power. It didn't necessarily they they felt full of power. Mm. Um, I think they were revealed to be bold. I'm not sure if they felt bold. And so I think there's a point to which you don't have to know the gun is loaded for it still to be able to sh shoot someone with it. Yeah. Um, and so I think there's a basis of living in the in the expectation that God is a man of His word or a God of His word. Um, and being willing to step out with that, not needing to feel that everything's in place to begin with. Um, I think there there is a place to keep saying, God, I, I just want to serve you. It is an absolute privilege to be used of you in this world. And any way I can do that, help challenge my expectations, help challenge my limitations, that I will be able to serve you in an appropriate way through 
the power of your Holy Spirit. Mm. I think because God has made us um, body, soul, and spirit, um, He feelings are legitimate, but the Bible says we're led by the Spirit of God, not by feelings. So whether we feel good, bad, or indifferent, that can't determine what God has for us to be, do, or respond in any given situation. Mm-hmm. We are dependent, and that's why it's so important that we're constantly saying, Lord, what do you want? We are dependent on his leading. Hmm. Cool. Next question. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. What can someone do to overcome disappointments of the past which impact faith? Is it all about love? I think to the person who's experiencing disappointments which they feel are impacting their faith, I think got to bring it before God. I think he is the, he can heal us, you know. Mm. Uh, and, and I think I think it's right to recognize that, that that might impact our faith. I think that's an important thing to recognize. And so therefore, how do we, how do we overcome those things? And it's recognizing actually, I can't fix myself. Yeah. I'm wounded here. I, I need God to minister to me, to, to do what no physician can do. And, um, and maybe asking the Holy Spirit to explore and unpack, you know, where particularly his, the faith has been lost. Is it loss of trust in certain people? Um, is, it, um, is it something else? You know, asking God to reveal specifically and un- unpack where, where that loss of faith might might be seen. Hmm. I think uh, we have to come back to the fact that faith is not uh, it's not a commentary on our assessment of God's past performance. Faith only comes one way. It comes by hearing and hearing by the word. So I think it, if we allow ourselves to be determined by, well, God didn't resolve this, answer this, seal this, we're missing the missing thing that faith only comes by one route and it's part of the gift of God. And so we come to God and we want to hear his word. Um, and that's got to be the, the benchmark and the basis for operating in faith. Mm. It's, Lord, what have you said? Great. Okay, final question for chapter nine. Solomon missed God's warning. Are there any warnings we need to make sure we listen to as we move into the next phase of our pilgrimage? Yes, every warning. But let's not imagine too many warnings. God's very, very clear. And if there's a warning, um, he doesn't want us to be living in a tentative sort of way. Mm. Um, He wants us to walk with a confidence, a confidence that's based in him. So equally, we mustn't ever get to the place think I can do it. Um, We can't, but we can by him. So I think uh, that's the important thing to to recognise. I think in the story of Solomon, God was so clear with him, coming back to the same thing, reminding him very clearly, even when he was, first of all, um, building the 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 temple, very excited about it. Very clear warning on uh, where what God wants of him. 
So we want to be ones that are listening. What is what does God keep saying to us? And I think particularly for us at, at this time when God's talking about reshaping the landscape or another term that we're using is maintaining the movement there's a word about living from the fresh sight of him i mean god kept us on that topic for 18 months we could move off of it um and then within that there's this message about investing and giving to each other I think I'm finding that God is prompting us to be sharing stories with each other. I think we've got to take those things seriously, not write them off. And I think sometimes there is a danger that we distance ourselves from a message of God because it's uncomfortable or, or what, what not. In, in Hebrews 3.15, it says, Do not harden your hearts like you... Uh, when the when the word of the Lord comes, do not harden your hearts like your ancestors did in the wilderness. So, well, why would I harden my heart when the word comes? Well, maybe I don't really like the word. Well, what does it look like to harden my heart? I think a lot of the time it's distancing ourselves from it by picking holes in the terminology of the message, the timing of the message, the the presentation of it that allows us to kind of be distracted from the implication of what God's actually asking for and the change that that requires in me. And so when we hear those messages that are very uncomfortable and feels like someone's poking you and our reaction would be put up the defences or counterattack, it's sitting in that, God, are you saying something to me in this? Let your Holy Spirit guide me and comfort me through the process of changing because I want to keep moving. Mm. Cool. Okay, moving on to chapter 10. We've got one question. How do we discern when to embrace the limitations slash uniqueness of our gifting, like Jamie spoke about, and when to accept God stretching us beyond what we're used to? I think only as we're led by the Holy Spirit. I mean, otherwise we're, we're seeking to making a an assessment i think if 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 god's saying no this is not this is not for you or this is not where i'm taking you um then we wouldn't really be very wise to go there mm. equally if god's saying yes i want you to go and do this or be this um we can't stand there and say well no i can't really mm. Um, our response is yes Lord and by your grace by your empowerment I will I will do it mm. so I don't think it's for us to double guess um, our ability when God is actually saying something to us okay I think it's a really good question um, because I think we need to be careful that we don't uh, like in Jamie's story where he saw people were able to um, just absorb critique um, and sort of I think it was a powerful revelation he came to of recognizing actually God wasn't gifting him or enabling him to be in that way and I think we need to be careful that we don't just try to be like people that we might admire and might recognize their giftings but try to um, that if that's not the gifting that God has given us then we then it's important for us to recognize that 
so I think, as John said, I think ultimately we have to ask God to reveal to us um, and have a sense and, and maybe weigh that with others around us. You know, I've, that might be something that could be worked out in discussion. I'm, I feel like there's a desire for this. Is this something that just I'm cl clinging on to or I want for some kind of position or is it actually something that God is wanting to stretch and develop me in? Let's work that through with those around us. Mm. I think the the key thing has to be, God, I just, the privilege of serving you and being used of you is the greatest. And I use whatever you give me to to do that to the fullest that I can. And sometimes that means that God bends or breaks the boundaries for us. So we've sometimes talked about the story of David Mansell, who was one of the... Uh, guys involved in the house church movement in the, the early days he, he talked about coming down the stairs once and feeling God tell him go and sit at the piano and he said to God but I don't play the piano that's my wife's piano and he said no go sit at the piano piano so he obeyed God went and sat at the piano ended up writing some of the most influential worship songs of that era and then afterwards he couldn't play anymore and the key thing was he was obedient to the directing of the spirit at that time and his current boundaries were allowed to be expanded by God. In the same way though, we can't just he couldn't just decide one day, you know what, I want to praise God, I'm going to play the piano and having never taken the time to learn how to do it, he couldn't decide it for himself. It was how the spirit was moving. But he could say well, I can play the guitar, so let me use that. Or I can clap, or I can shout, or I can dance. Mm. It's whatever is in my hands, I want to give that to God's. And if today he wants to expand what I can do, then I'm fully up for that. Mm. He can do whatever he wants to do. And I just love being part of that with him. Mm. Cool. Okay. On to chapter 11, which is where we're then up to in the teaching. So we've got two questions on chapter 11. First question, God appeared to Solomon twice, but Solomon continued to make bad choices. There are times of particular intimacy for us. How do we make the most of these and be changed? I think it's important to bear in mind that um, we're led by the Spirit of God, but God never actually takes away free will. So we can, at any time, we can say yes, Lord, or no, Lord. It's a dumb thing to do to say no, Lord, but um, we, we sadly, or, yeah, we'd otherwise, we would be automatons, and mm. we choose to submit to God and choose to obey Him. Cool. Final question. This is a specific question for Jamie. Jamie, could you give an example of an idol that you're tempted to worship? So you spoke a lot about idol worship in your talk. Yeah, I and I made a note in my teachings to talk about a personal example, and then I ended up completely missing it. So, <laughs> um, so using the kind of criteria that I referred to, that a fisherman might know where the fish are by the way that the water moves and the analogy being applied to the idea of the idol by saying what causes the most disturbance to your emotional state 
look underneath that, you often find an idol. And I had, on Saturday, been asked to think about this. And I'd thought, you know what? There's a couple of things. First of all, I hate being misrepresented. That big, that's a big deal to me. And I feel this urge to justify, protect myself. Um, and, and so that causes an emotional reaction disproportionately. The other thing is when I make a mistake that I can't fix. And so I've often talked about the, the rash vest analogy about um, where, first of all, I start off with, so, so sorry, the, the, the story, if you, you don't know, it was, it was my job once when I, me and my, my wife and my son went to the beach, it was my job to pack the bag, including the rash vest, which has a UV protection on it. We get to the beach, it's time to put the rash vest on, it's not in the bag. My first state is denial. No, it must be in the bag, you're just not looking deep enough. The next position is blame shift. Well, you didn't ask me to, to specifically put it in. My next move is, well, uh, so that was, that was blame shift. The third is, I will go back to the hotel and get it. That was me fixing my own mistake. And when I was told, no, you stay here, I'll go and get it, it caused such a reaction in me because I can't fix my own mistake. And it was funny enough, I then taught the message on the Sunday. On Monday, I was presented with two huge mistakes that I made that I couldn't fix. And the temptation of anxiety and um, heightened emotional reaction to that, I think this is so interesting that I taught exactly on this the day before. Mm. It's like, well, let me practice what I preached. So what was it that I was saying? Well, it was instead of trying to to remove the symptoms of that that anxiety and or follow through my natural reaction, which would can I shift the blame or can I how can I scheme through and fix this or go down into a spiral of self-loathing despair? Because God, I want to delight in you. I don't want to just drop an drop this idol I want to grab hold of something that is greater God calls me to delight in you see you for who you are that becomes much more appealing and all-encompassing mm. than just being rid of this particular mistake that I've faced today great okay well that that was a lot of questions guys but we've done very well uh, thank you very much so we had to reduce some of the number of questions that we had to make sure that we could get through them all so if you had submitted a question that you still are looking for an answer to please feel free to come um ask one of us when when you see us and we will be back with another reflection episode very soon so thanks very much guys